There's a whole group of watch lovers that obsessed with Secret Loom. You know, the Black Badger whole phenomenon helped inspire a lot of them. But so many times I've seen high-end watches and the guy's like, oh yeah, you have to see this. And he pulls out like his like super bright, you know, UV light, just glowing all over this thing. He's like, look at this line here. And I'm like, this loom, like, yes, it's painted, it's cool, but like loom is so inexpensive. And like, this is like a several hundred thousand dollar watch. Like. I could take so many watches and just paint a couple of lines of loom in them and be like, check this out. Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. We are sailing without the good ship David this week, so it is myself and Ario. Ario, how are you? I'm good. I have been very, very busy having meetings with the brands that make the watches we like. I've been seeing a lot of roadmaps, so I'm interested in when we can start speaking about some of these watches and cool things that I've seen. There's some cool surprises for the end of the year. Some expected stuff, some whatever, but some legitimate surprises. So thank you to the watch industry for continuing to keep everyone on their toes. Now, you are slightly late to this recording, shall we say, and you're obviously very busy. You know what you could do with? Um, What's that? You could do with an assistant ariel oh my gosh you don't say i've been looking for an assistant so i think if you're listening to this and you think you know what i've always wanted to do i've wanted to assist a watch guru in his watch living life then you should be speaking to ariel so i tell you what why don't you if you're interested email the show and i'll siphon out the the lunatics before it gets to Ariel. So send your application forms if you would like to be Ariel's assistant. I think you probably want to be living close to him so that he can, you know, reach out and grab you with these kind of shepherd's crook, drag you into the <laughs> office to tell you everything that needs done. So you probably do need to live in California. What a hard life that must be living in California. But email the show podcasts with an S because we've got this podcast and the superlative podcast at a blog to watch.com. If you think you could be Ariel's assistant. I have to add a little bit to that. So <laughs> You think? Well, I appreciate it. It's a, it's a nice gesture. I think what I need to say to everyone is that much of the blog to watch team is rooting for me to have the right type of assistant. You know, multiple people like, Ariel, you know what you need an assistant because I tried to do too much. And so there's this very appreciative, affectionate sort of like, crowdsourcing of like let's find the right person <laughs> so it's ask everyone it might be the listeners it might be someone the listener knows i need a a mini me that shadows what i do and that can help increase my productivity i've had an assistant before it's great and when i do finally get one maybe we'll have double the shows each week i don't know <laughs> so more a mini me than a minion is what we're saying yeah i'm not into the minions that's that's just i'm not into it. i mean i like the the chicken minion watch that's about the extent of my minion appreciation oh i see i see yeah uh, i don't know if it was actually out this week and I just kind of missed it, but I see that your favourite event of the year has just come to town again, and that is GPHG, because the Minion Watch features in the GPHG long list. So I think, just to ruin everyone's day, we should petition for the Minion Watch. If only it was a public vote that you could pockle and we could make the Minion Watch win GPHG, I think that would just be, that would just be, just be spot on. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like lobbying to win a high school popularity contest. At the end of the day, is it really resources well spent? I think the interesting thing is just how many watches Parmigiani and Tudor have thrown at it this year. 
I think Parmigiani have entered, and also there's a there's a clock category. Just what the world needed was an award for the best clock. Um, anyway, there we go. You can go and check out the GPHG long list. Look, the GPHG is an industry event that the industry sort of pats themselves on the back. They like to sort of tout themselves as being this prestigious award where a bunch of people like really determine a lot of things on merits and there's some sort of sense behind it. It's, it's just an industry appreciation event. Plenty of great watches that don't get voted and plenty of watches that do get voted that I don't know they are not always the best watches so you know it's entertainment take it with a grain of salt but I I don't put too much uh, gravitas behind it it is always entertaining and there are some uh, some interesting watches there are some absolute horror shows I think if I was to guess I would say the best representation of watches believe it or not is actually IWC quite like what IWC have put forward but uh, there we go. Anyway, you can go and check that out, I'm sure, on some website somewhere. Good. So a bit of last week's show this week. I'm just going to play a quick clip from Escapement 24. Basically, I'm playing it because he agrees with us about Tudor. Hey, guys, it's Simon from the Escapement 24 YouTube channel. I was really interested to hear your thoughts on the new Tudor Ranger in the last show. I'm a big Tudor fanboy, but like you, I also found this one pretty underwhelming. I mean, I'm all for taking inspiration from classic and iconic models from bygone eras, but I'm not sure that the Oyster Prince or the original Ranger quite meets the definition of iconic. And as an owner of the Black Bay Pro and that Metas-certified Black Bay ceramic that you also spoke about on the show, I think it's about time that Tudor gave us another model that really pushes the boundaries in terms of design and technical excellence in the way that the Black Bay ceramic does. Anyway, guys, these are just my thoughts. Loving the show, so keep up the good work. So that is what's being said about the latest from Tudor's release. Basically agreeing with us, it'd be nice for Tudor to step something back up to the ceramic metas movement that they had done previously. A week or so out of the release of the Ranger, have you got any further reflections uh, on what's been going on there? I already forgot about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think we kind of agreed that actually we just didn't need to comment on every Tudor that flew past. And I think we're probably still sticking to that particular gun. But more interestingly, what Escape with 24 also asked us to do was to spec a summer watch for him. So we will maybe come on to that a little later on. I'll give you the spec just now, Ariel, so you can have a wee think about it. Okay, it's going to be analogue. Okay. Could be any digi. Maybe colourful. Good water resistance durable like it can actually be worn on holiday and under 1500 pounds stroke dollars is in the uk so pounds that means means you can spend a little bit more i think i only wear watches that you consider summer watches like i don't think i have non-summer watches so it's sort of i'm like the wrong person to ask i'm like what do you mean there's a watch that you can't wear in the winter like i don't get it i think i should come and be your assistant in california and you should come and be my assistant on a farm in West Scotland. And let's see how long your summer watches last. But what you should do is, do you own a Speedmaster? Um, yeah. Bring that. That'll be fine. Bring that and bring lots of money so you can have it serviced. Oh. Once it's got wet, soggy and broken. That sounds like some G-Shock territory. Yeah, it's definitely more G-Shock territory than Speedmaster territory uh, where I am and what I do. So I think I'll come and live the California dreaming summer life and you can come and live the welly boot barber jacket life uh, here in Scotland. So this is like some type of weird watch lover exchange program? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know how you get like, uh, what's, that's that one where you like swap houses. If you want a holiday 
I've always wondered who on earth swaps houses with somebody in Scotland, and it does happen. So it'll be like this, what's it like to walk in another man's shoes and wear his watch and get it dirty? Yeah, I think you should leave your watch collection and the safe open and I'll come and wear all your watches. I see. So yeah, so I leave some watches for you, you leave some watches for me, and then we see who's ruined each other's watch. I don't know. (laughs) I I, I think there's there's, there's... There's the makings of something here. This, there is the making of there's an H, there's another HBO series in that after, after last week's HBO World of Watch intrigue. There's probably a, a house watch swap life thing on the go. Oh, there. well, we talked. Yeah, that was much more high budget. This is like cheesy, <laughs> kind of reality showish, just seeing people needlessly suffer with fun toys. <laughs> It sounds to me like the sort of thing an assistant would plan for you. That would be great. I would be into if that. If only you had one. So anyway, if only, <laughs> if only, right. So you can have a think about a watch for Escapement Twenty Four, and we will get on with some news. So this week, kind of hot off the press, a bit of an industry insider. It's maybe a bit niche, but there is pressure growing at Richemont for basically them to what I would call in this country stick to the knitting which is stick to actually just making watches things that you can bash off of doors and scratch and take in the swimming pool and have less of a focus on this soft and fluffy internet fashion stuff so there is a bit of an activist investor been reported in watch pro and uh, miss tweet as well a bit of an activist investor uh, kicking off at richemont trying to get them to stick to the knitting now without going into the very specifics of the story because it is a bit it's a bit dull is the tide turning on all of these watch brands and conglomerates who decided that they wanted to do everything for everybody they wanted to be media they wanted to be retailers they wanted to be online they wanted to be used guys they wanted to make watches they wanted to sell watches is the tide starting to turn because actually the people that own these companies realize look, you should just stick to what you're good at. It's a very interesting topic because you could really go almost forever about it, to be honest. The idea here is that there's someone who said, hey, Richemont, I don't like how you're spending your money and spending your time. And I, I have a different recommendation for you. This is just a recommendation. This is not someone that has the authority to actually get something like this done. And so there's not necessarily going to be anything behind it, but it's sort of a topic of conversations. I don't have enough voting power to do to make anything happen by myself, but I'm going to put it out there that maybe Richemont should move in this other direction. Richemont doesn't have to, and Richemont, you know, doesn't always make decisions based upon factors like, hey, let's let's sell things in the market. But I think what what the activist investor said that I think was most interesting was you should rename Richemont to the Cartier Group, <laughs> which <laughs> is actually something that a lot of people have joked about, including myself. Where it's like Cartier is really the jewel. It's the company yeah. that makes by far the most money. Not all of them are even profitable, or if they are profitable, they can't really grow too much because every time they take profit, it just goes to the shareholders of Richemont and doesn't really get reinvested. So clearly there isn't enough money being made for all the brands that Richemont has to eat well. And I think that what what some of the investors are saying is just trim the fat. If you have more brands than you can afford, get rid of them. And I think what Rupert and his team is basically saying is like, no, that's not what we do. We buy assets and then we sell them for a good price. And he's like, well, if you're pissed off at things, don't worry. We'll finally sell YNAP, which is part of their 
larger strategy in, in e-commerce where rather than just sort of make their own websites, they would buy some and think that that's, that's how you do it. And if you're in e-commerce, you realize that buying another digital company is a very quick way to destroying that company and not being able to reap the positives of whatever they were. Because often it's not technology, it's culture, it's services, it's something like that. So Richemont now is being pressured to get back to what it's supposed to be doing, which is being a wholesaler, whereas Richemont for the last several years has been experimenting with a lot of direct-to-consumer. And I think that that's sort of the crux of the issue, is this battle behind do we control distribution or do we make things that sell in the wholesale? And this new camp does seem to be suggesting let's get a little bit back to the wholesale model, which I think is interesting and there's a lot of wisdom to it. And this Francesco Trapani, former CEO of Belgrade, do you know of this person? No, not not personally. There's a lot of these individuals that would have been behind the scenes, not really making a lot of public appearances, not the types of people that would have been at trade shows, but really strategists and financial people. I don't know. In a sense, they're kind of like gamblers because they're not really on the scene. They're not really doing things. They're sort of making bets with money and, and, and standing behind certain people or concepts. So yeah. they're not the types of individuals that I have the most fun with discussing because, frankly, they're not personally emotionally invested in a lot of what it is that we like. Indeed, well, watch this space. Something which we are personally invested in, whether it's just the amount of times we spend talking about it or the attitude of so many watch geeks to the company is, of course, the £300 gorilla in the room that is Rolex. Not competing at GPHG, but there we go, is Rolex. Now, we have a wee message from a listener at Made in BN. I'm going to play that just now, and then we're going to chat about it. Hi, Rick. Hi, everyone. My name is Alex. I live in Bien, and I have a small blog called madeinbien.ch. So for those who don't know, Bien is often considered the capital uh, or at least one of the major, major cities of Swiss watchmaking. It's the home of Omega, Swatch, the Swatch Group, etc. but also where Rolex had their largest production site and where all of Rolex movements are made. And in 2019, Rolex started expanding their current site that uh, has about 3,500 employees. And it looks now that it's just about finished and ready to go. Rolex are actually aggressively advertising in the city for hiring uh, for, for their facility. And based on what you can tell from the construction and also the building permit information, it seems like the overall increase in production will be about 20 to 30%. So, you know, do we think that this will uh, increase overall availability of Rolex watches? I'll let you guys tell me what you think. Okay, so they clearly have a view of the building site. They can see what's going on. There's signs all over town with Rolex looking to recruit, looking to open this factory soon. It's for making movements. The thinking is it will increase production by 20 to 30%. Will anybody notice? So what we have here is, is evidence that Rolex is expanding. And the thing is, Rolex has been expanding in small incremental steps for many, many years now. So it's not like a surprise or anything like that. And let's be honest, Rolex has said that the current high demand is not going to you know, dramatically influence their long-term decision-making. I believe that. But their long-term decision-making is to increase the amount of things they can make in-house, increase redundancy so they don't have one facility, experiment with new production methods and things like that. So that Rolex has been growing during a time which is very good for Rolex is not surprising. To increase production of watches in a way that 
makes sense. It's a slow and steady process. It takes several years of time. So it is possible that Rolex is just starting to come to grips with the fact that for the next several years, maybe they do in fact need to make some more watches. And that would make sense. It's a type of strategy that they like, right? To fix the problem with availability and the fact that people can't get one, you can increase production. And that doesn't make Rolex too upset. They have a lot of history of making more watches than they can sell. It's only in the recent time where, you know, truly every single Rolex was in, in, a, in a sense being sold out. They have all kinds of history of years and years and years of watches not being sold and they get stored in warehouses and, you know, in dramatic situations, watches can be melted down again and reused and things like that. But then the day, Watch brands, because of a history of overproduction, have no concerns about making too many watches. That's never been a particular concern of theirs. So I think it's safe to say that Rolex feels confident that you know they can they can boost production. It's not necessarily total numbers of watches that might be making more of one kind of watch versus another kind of watch, or you know again bringing more of the production stuff in house, creating more redundancy. So I wouldn't jump to conclusions, but yeah, it, it does look like Rolex is hiring. And they're not the only ones down there. What's interesting is that as the market appears to be taking a bit of a dip, as there seems to be the start of some suffering out there, is just when Rolex's factory is coming online, which has presumably been several years in the planning. Whether that's going to turn out to be absolutely great timing for Rolex and horrible timing for everybody else, because just as sales are becoming more difficult to make, the watch brand everybody wants a bit of is producing more of them now at the last count and i say this because i counted them all i reckon there was 1682 places in the world that you could buy a rolex now okay that number's a few months old but i went through the rolex website and counted every single location listed on the website if Increase has gone up by 20 to 30%. Well, let's say that's 300,000 watches. That's about 180 watches additional per store. So three a week. I don't think that's going to make a great deal of difference to the availability to Joe Soap. I imagine the guy or the girl who's buying two Rolexes a year or three and is a great customer is probably now just going to be able to buy five I'm not sure it's really going to allow people who don't already have a relationship with their authorised dealer to get in there and get their first one. But you never know. We can watch this space and see. Uh, but it is interesting timing for the rest of the market. It'll be interesting. Uh, presumably they're sucking in a lot of talent. You know, presumably it's a job for... Is it a job for life in Rolex? I'm not immersed in the culture of Swiss watchmaking in the personalities the way that you are. But are they a one... You know, you get a job for Rolex, you stay. It can be, but no. A lot a lot of people stay for a long time. I do know people that have left Rolex, but it's a very cushy job because decisions don't get made fast there. So you have to like screw up. Like if you go to work and do what you're told, you could presumably get a nice paycheck for a very long time as long as you keep your head down and know who to say yes to and who to smile to. That's it, It's not fulfilling. People feel stifled as hell there a lot. Lots of very smart people work there and have all these ambitious ideas about changes they can make, whether it's the company structure or products or customer service or communication. And, you know, they just get trampled over. So you need to have a stomach for, you know, politics and, and doing things the slow Swiss way to, to be there for sure. But once once you get in there, I mean, why, why would you leave? Hell, I mean, you you know, you get your uh, employee watch discount once a year. That's That might be worth it. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's where all the new production's going. There are... <laughs> 30% new watches, actually, they're all going to be sold to Rolex employees at a discount just as a 
as a wee stunt to the rest of the world. Hey, look, guys, we've got so much money, we can build a factory just to supply watches to ourselves. So there you go. Watch the space. The factory is no doubt opening soon. And if you happen to have applied for a job, you know, if you've decided, yeah, it's a toss-up between being Ariel's assistant or working for Rolex and getting a Rolex discount, and you decide against the assistant application, and instead you go and get a job with Rolex, then do keep in touch, because <laughs> nothing ever leaks out of Rolex, and we wouldn't <laughs> mind having an insider in Rolex. In fact, maybe you should employ an assistant and then send them on a secret mission to work inside Rolex. There, there you go, there's another HBO show. We're all about, is it Pitch Week yet in America? They have like these... Not yet. Weeks we got, where they we produce little, all these brand new shows. Yeah. A little bit longer. Well, there we go. We're, we're, we're churning them out here. It's like it's like Aaron Sorkin's in the room. There we go. <laughs> Good stuff. Right, just before we move on with some watches, a quick note of thanks to Don at Vertex. I have had the delights of having a shot of the M60 Aqualine for the past few weeks. That has gone back, but it is a very lovely watch. Go and check out the article and find the interview on a blog to watch weekly. But Don, and in in and on the wrist now is the Oris Billion Oyster, which we've also reported on. Go and check that out on the website. So I'll let you know how that wears in a few weeks' time. Good stuff. Let's talk some watches. First watch up this week, the Formex Reef GMT Automatic Chronometer 300 meter. Now this, Ariel, is from a company that pushed you out of a fully serviceable airplane not so long ago. Were you wearing a Reef watch at the time? Yeah, I was actually. I was. I had two watches on. One was the Essence Legera and one was a Reef. So I was. This is the GMT version of the Reef, which looks a lot like the, the normal Reef, but with the GMT function and different bezel. Uh, Matt from our team, Reutink, he was the one that reviewed it. And, you know, this is an $1,800 you know, very wearable, 42 millimeters wide. It wears small because it has these sort of flanks, you know, Swiss made with a cosk movement. You know, watch 300 meter water resistance. There used to be a lot of watches like this. Now there aren't as many, especially at this price point. So on paper, it works really, really well. There's a lot of people that want GMT dive watches, meaning enough durability to be a dive watch, but with a GMT functionality. I have to admit, I'm someone that doesn't go as gaga for GMTs. Um, I like having slightly less hands on the dial, but again, I'm the minority. There's a ton of people. So, you know, really what we're just talking about is the reef with a different bezel and, of course, the GMT movement. I believe the case is probably just ever so slightly thicker, but whether it's on the bracelet or the strap, I, I actually think a lot more people would like and wear the reef if they got to know it. It's just sort of a matter of time before more people get their hands on these. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a fun shape, but not in too large of a size, and that is sort of rare in the sort of, you know, sport watch world right now. Yeah, one of the comments on the article was this, that Formex is becoming the new Oris. This is from Dan W94. Is that a good assessment of the trajectory that Formex are on? You know, Oris has become this kind of darling brand of the watch community. Rightly so. Great brand, he says, with his billion oyster watch sitting next to him <laughs> to review. But is Formex just on the same sort of trajectory it's just waiting for you know again a bit like norkin i suppose that the ball is steadily rolling down the hill gathering the snow or the moss depending on where you live and actually eventually it'll break through much more into the consciousness of the average watch collector 
because it's a good product. There's no doubt about that. I've uh, tried on a few of these in the past. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I've seen the trajectory of brands like this for the last 15 years, and they go in all types of places. One of the things that usually happens is prices tend to go up. At some point, prices mm-hmm. start to tend to go up, and and another thing that happens when prices go up is brands start to sell to fundamentally different pe- people, and they don't always like to admit this, but they don't always want to. S- realize that the watch that they charge you know two thousand dollars for now that their average price was four thousand dollars not the same person who's buying at all that's a very different area and so i think that when a brand moves out of one price price point into another it's very difficult to predict you know are they still going to do well and so oris is this is is in that situation right now it is in a large way moving into a higher price point selling to a new group of people Will the same message that worked at $2,000 work at $4,000? I don't know. And what we do know is the people that were happy to buy $2,000 cannot buy at $4,000. They want other options. Uh, and and mm-hmm. Formix is that. So you have this weird thing. It's almost like plate tectonics where brands move in one direction, more high end. And then as they leave a vacuum in open space, some brand comes in there. And then at some point that brand you know, becomes higher priced. And very rarely do they sort of, you know, um, get out of that mold. And I was talking to one recently, uh, Mr. Jones Watches, another uh, UK brand, yeah, yeah. who, you know, for the 15 years that he'd been doing it, you know, we both started in 2007, actually, he's really not raised prices in any civ- significant way. And he is definitely the exception of the norm. So that's a very long way of saying, I'm not sure where they're going because these brands typically move and they don't stand still. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like the Christopher Ward story. They have managed to kind of stick to their kind of lane, their price point, whereas, as you say, the likes of Oris do seem to be moving up the tree. What is it that drives that? Is it just the owners? They want to make more money? Is it just that there's only so long you can make a watch at two grand before you feel like making something a bit more expensive, a bit more exciting with an in-house movement in the case of Oris with tech that you couldn't afford to do so long? Is the natural trajectory for brands to slowly creep up in price and actually what's not natural is what's happened as you see Mr. Jones and the Christopher Ward, whereby the management really hold back on just letting the pricing structure run away with itself over the ambitions of the no doubt watchmakers and designers who want to design with the latest and greatest and the the newest movements and build their own things. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um a big part of it has to do with the fact that they typically can't increase volume meaning they can't sell more watches to get economies of scale and they tend to want to do more and more ambitious stuff right it's a normal thing where brands just want to make a better and better and better watch and that costs more and more and more money unless you're very clever and very very and work very very hard and you're super budget conscious and then at the same time you know they don't always want to work as hard they start as a one-person company they'd like an assistant too maybe a salesperson maybe some customer service you know watchmakers and they have they start to have all these expenses and they're again they're not fundamentally moving more watches so the really the only thing you can do is what increase the price point and so that's that's really the problem is because these brands don't tend to increase volume very much they just increase their own expenses in order to keep up or to compensate they have no choice but to increase the retail price yeah i think that's a really interesting point so go and have a look at formex the the range of watches that formex produce at the moment is actually one of the most well-rounded ranges of watches at that kind of 
thousand to two thousand dollar price point in my opinion so go and check out the full website but most importantly go and check out the article on a blog to watch.com recently mike razak from our team used some pictures i shot of a limited edition set of raymond vile freelancer chronographs called the 7780s i think they needed better names to be honest because <laughs> this doesn't really look that much like the other freelancers yes similar case but titanium and bronze or all bronze, different dial layout, some different design elements and things like that. This is Raymond Vile experimenting. An interesting set of textures on the dial. You can see that they're really having fun playing with all kinds of things from uh, the sort of record style concentric circles to the little, what I call the, the racing flag hash marks on the, uh, for the seconds to the font of the date disc. You know, again, this is Raymond Vile being crazy and fun. And the conversation's happening at the same time that Raymond Vile is designing a novel watch for the Block to Watch audience. Uh, we are in the middle of this sort of design campaign where the audience is making choices about watches. They have chosen sort of 80s new wave synth music as being the, you know, really, really sort of the focus of the design and where the inspiration is. And, and so it's great to see what the team is capable of. I'm going to try to push them even further than this, but you can see that the team there is hunger, hungry for these opportunities to do some different stuff. So I, I like where this is going. It's conservative right now. It is a limited edition, but I think what you're seeing is a brand that has a great industrial capacity and the ability to make a good watch at not too expensive a price, finally starting to break out of their own mold a little bit. Yeah, I think a lot of folk have commented that this was a Raymond Vale watch, one of the first ones they've seen that they could actually get behind and actually were like, oh, this is worth paying attention to. And I'm inclined to agree. I have never been that taken by Raymond Vale products that I've seen in shop windows in Glasgow in the past. I don't don't know if it's that they tend to be positioned in the UK alongside kind of fashion brands at the expensive end of the fashion brand. But if you go to the, like the shop window that stocks everything, then you'll have at the right hand side the kind of Michael Kors, Diesel, whatever else fashion brands. And then as you go up, you'll eventually get to the Raymond Vial and then it will start moving into the likes of, I don't know, a Bremen, a Morris Lacroix, Oris tag etc and away it goes into the into the bigger brands but this does actually look like quite an attractive watch for a kind of bi-compact chronograph really quite like it pricing wise three thousand nine hundred dollars for the top end limited edition and three four for the non-limited version i would imagine this is at the upper end of what raymond vile charge for this sort of thing but it does a appear to be kind of fairly consistent with what you would pay for a Swiss non-in-house uh, chronograph uh, watch. So, I mean, they are a genuine bona fide Swiss watch brand. I just think they've got a little bit... I don't know whether it's some of the things they sponsor in the UK and this preponderance of music watches that seems to have occurred over the last few years. I think they did a Beatles one. Did they do a Rolling Stones one and a, a load of other things, which I think if you're not into that, just starts to lead you down the path that that's what they do but actually when they produce something like this you kind of look at it and go oh, that's actually that's quite nice i'd go and try that on for sure and see how it fitted so it will be interesting to see what comes out of the contest when can we expect the next question if you like to be asked as part of what we're doing at a blog to watch with raymond vile well definitely not before the uh, swiss watchmaker vacation time is over <laughs> absolutely not and when, when's that kind of finishes in august or something yeah it's sort of it's a month or a month 
and a half, kind of, you know, by mid to late August, they'll come back. They want to do the next article where we present new choices and some watch designs, I think, in September. Cool. Well, you can look forward to seeing that in September. I'm glad New Wave Synth won. I did vote for it. I'm happy that that well, Congratulations, was sir. Now you're going to have to buy it. I won. That's right. <laughs> for those of you that voted and didn't read the very, very small print at the bottom of the voting box, yes, you are now actually contractually committed to buy the watch at whatever price gets set. So, you know, nail luck, but uh, look out for that in September. Well, we had George Bamford on last week. Good show, great show, went down really well. And we we decided at the end of the day not to embarrass him by reviewing his own watch while he was actually on the show. But next time we will, because we'll have him back the next time that something's going on. As predicted, the G-Shop released the following day, or the, the day after, when they'd had to get the police to stop the launch down in London, was also gone in 60 seconds i think in terms of the online sale this has obviously proved to be incredibly popular it seems to just be a reflecting that a number of people who would not have previously been involved in buying and attempting to flip watches have now suddenly found it as a new market you know a lot of people have moved on from the sneakers or as well as doing the kind of sneakers and i know pokemon cards or beta whatever it is you do have suddenly discovered this little niche that we thought we'd have all to ourselves in the watch world of buying these fairly inexpensive watches and then trying to make a profit at them. Indeed, there was a couple of very heated rows on Instagram with people who were boasting about how they flipped and they were set upon by the watch community. But that aside, what do we actually think of the watch? I mean, you've given so much to think about here, right? We, at the end of the day, have to be on the side of people being able to buy at retail price. There's no sustainable yeah. market in watches being grabbed and then tried to sell higher than retail. We've seen this happen in the, in the, in the as you said, the shoe market, as well as the fashion market, sort of the trendy fashion market, Supreme and things like that. Yes, there's this sort of microcosm of people that see it as like these hot art goods, but what ends up happening is just other brands keep coming out. More and more clothing brands, more and more watch brands, more and more shoe brands, and, and demand is satisfied. If you're hyper-focused on having certain brands, yeah, maybe you're those consumers, but for the most part, consumers want to buy what's available to them and what's affordable. And, you know, most consumers don't for fun just go buy equities and things like that. It's <laughs> at some point, there's a big line between investment, which is a very, very serious and different decision. Then I like that. I want to wear it. Totally different decision making. And I want watches to be more. I like it. I want to wear it. The watch, the Bamford one. Look, I mean, it's it's another G-Shock. It's a second one. It's got the black and, and sort of uh, electric blue coloring uh, that's associated with him. It's got his name. It's, you know, it's it's old style one. I'm very proud of George that he's been able to uh, get this type of following. It must be very, very flattering to him. But for me, you know, there's other than the colors and things like that and the name on that, it's, it's a G-Shock, which is very readily available. So I don't always find myself able to identify with the mentality of the people that rush to get things that, that's difficult to, to get. Um, if they're all getting it to wear it, more power to them. I, I do like the color scheme that George has managed to associate himself with. Uh, this blue that's not quite Tiffany blue. <laughs> it's a good choice. Personally, I'm not a fan of these this particular shape of G-Shock. I much prefer the, the square ones. I, just for the shape of my wrist, I don't like how these wear on me. But there's no doubt that it's a, a good, proper G-Shock. I 
think it's also good that actually if you were able to get it at retail, it's actually a, you know, it's competitive. It's not suddenly had hundreds of pounds put on it just because it's got George's name on it. It is being sold pretty much as run-of-the-mill, but as a limited edition. But yeah, like this G-Shock, like what George is doing. It's great to have him on the show. We will have him back on as a guest host again soon. We were set a little bit of a summer watch challenge to come up with a, you know, budget, not quite a budget busting, still got 1,500 quid to spend. Well, I'm speaking to you from the beach in Greece, where I've just started my holiday or vacation, as people from the New World like to call it. So I spent the last two weeks looking for the perfect holiday watch, and it had to have a very strict set of criteria. So I wanted something that was analogue, preferably, or maybe an Annie Digi. I wanted something with a white dial, or a brightly coloured dial, and strap. I also wanted something with good water resistance so I could jump in the pool with it, and it had to be something that would take a bit of a beating, so I could play with the kids and bash it around and not have to worry too much. And the final criteria was that it had to cost less than £1,500. So I finally settled on the Doxa Sub-600T White Pearl on the rubber strap, which I'm actually really enjoying. But I wondered if you guys had any alternative suggestions and what your favourite holiday watch would be. As well as something new, I thought we'd have a quick look and see if there was anything on eBay. So Ariel, are you warming up your eBay search engine to see what's there for 1500 bucks that you would buy as a summer watch? I mean, I know you say all watches are summer watches. I mean, I'm constantly searching for watches on eBay, so there's not really too much to warm up. <laughs> probably did it in the last 30 seconds compulsively. Do you have one of these eBay baskets that's just full or like save searches that are just long, long lists yeah, of things? Yeah, I got watch things. I got save searches. You know, look, I mean, I've been more than 20 years looking at watches on ebay so what's what's there what if if you had if i gave you 50 if rather than paying your new assistant their first paycheck you spent it on a watch from ebay that fitted the summer watch requirement that we were set by simon what would you be buying you know what i have been looking at lately a lot um i've been looking at maybe like from the last several years higher end like Seikos and other like Japanese domestic market things. Not not sort of Ooh, the okay. things that have come out a lot, but I always like looking at those. There's a lot of sport watches from the last 10 years that are in that range that may have retailed for like $10,000 or something like that, but you can still find them like for like 1500 bucks here and there. I don't like to mention too many names. One of the ones that I have been looking at though, that I will say is Ralph Lauren watches. You can get some really good deals on those and those were those are pretty cool. I don't know all the... All the it's exactly 1500 bucks, but compared to the retail prices, those are some cool ones. So if, if you think that a summer watch is sort of a bright, possibly large, sporty, cool looking masculine, you know, uh, maybe water sports or like I said, just general purpose activity watch, there's an enormous amount on there. And I don't like to tell people specific searches, but there's a lot to look at. Yeah, there is quite a bit. I have to say I am not so nervous about telling folks specific searches. So what I have found on here, which I quite like the look of, is actually one of these Breitling professionals, the red one. Now, because I know nothing about, you know, identifying whether watches are the real item, the advantage is that eBay will do it for you. So I'm perfectly content to spend the 1500 quid on something. And if it turns out not to be right, I'll get my money back, basically. Long and short. But yeah, Breitling, a nice Breitling's on there in my particular save search. There's also a Tudor going, a Tudor GMT for a remarkably good price. 28 bids so far, so less than a thousand pounds. 
if that's uh, up to up to scratch, that's not a bad lookout. So yeah, go and have a look. So that would be my thing for Simon would be one of the Breitling Endurance Pros. Yeah, that'll do the job. You'll survive even a Scottish summer with that watch. What do you think about authenticity guarantee from eBay and now the uh, expert verification? So for people that don't know, yeah. if, if the watch, and this is in the US, is $2,000 or more, it automatically gets sent to this authenticity uh, guarantee where it's checked by a third party, which is their, their facility uh, that they work with, uh, Stoll, which is a service provider in Ohio, and that's the work for eBay. It's checked by the person, you know, make sure it's real and make sure it is what the description is, and, and then it gets, you know, the watch gets sent to you after it's all okay. And then if it's the watch is between a thousand and two thousand dollars, you have the same option, but for eighty dollars, which includes shipping and the checking and all that stuff. So it's actually a, a pretty good deal. And uh, I, I've heard very positive things from the people that use it. You know, sometimes it does, in fact, stop sales that otherwise would happen. There's a condition problem. You know, I think this is actually much more pro-consumer than seller right now, which I think is good. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, if a watch is, you know, scratched up and it wasn't mentioned, uh, then, you know, it, it'll, it'll get flagged, actually. So it's it's mm-hmm. something that I, w- I would look at. And it's a, it's a very trusted thing in the in the ecosystem of, you know, what am I buying? Because when you're buying something online, ultimately, if it's pre-owned, you have no idea what you're getting. I mean, really no idea. My problem is I'm not an expert at identifying. If you put a fake Rolex and a real Rolex, you know, a good fake next to real I'm not going to be one of these guys on Instagram that's going to be able to guess which one's fake. It's going to be a 50-50 call unless it's like the Cyclops is on backwards or the nine is an upside down six. Then I'm not going to be able to identify it. So certainly the reassurance, I think in the UK it's £1,500. It automatically qualifies for the authenticity guarantee. Then yeah, it, it makes, I mean, I've bought a couple of things on eBay in the past. All have been decent. All have turned out to be really good deals. It would have been certainly more reassuring had there been a problem that it would have been solved. Have we gone to and we should add... This is not being sponsored by eBay. This is genuine user user experience just because of listen. Rick's just practicing. Just, we're, we're practicing for when eBay send us all the cash. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, this is genuinely from Simon's question. We thought we'd have a look at eBay because well, the reality is you go to eBay, you go to Corona24, you go to these, that's where you go to have a look. You know, eh, you go you go to do a quick comparison you know when you're having your cup of coffee at your computer because you've been working hard all day you want to wee surf somewhere so you go to a blog to watch and then you go to ebay and that's that's you don't need to go anywhere else well if you've got a summer watch recommendation or a question if you want us to find something on ebay or you've got something you found you want an opinion then you know email the show podcast at a blog to watch weekly send us a voice message over the last couple of weeks, I got to see some cool watches. One of them was a very rare MBNF watch. I was at the retailer Stephen Silver up in Menlo Park in Silicon Valley, and they had a version of the HM9SV. There was four versions made. Each was a limited edition of five pieces. This took the HM9, which was already a weird watch, gave it a sapphire vision treatment, and then the movement um, was colored... A particular bright color. In this in this instance, it was purple. I think there was a green one, a blue one, maybe a red one, something like that. I don't remember all of them. There were, we, we wrote about them. These came out during the pandemic, so there wasn't sort of a normal trade show opportunity to get a hands-on experience. 
and to check them out. Um, and this is a watch that's not only very rare at being a limited edition, just five pieces in this color, but also extremely expensive at $440,000. White gold case, there are some in, I think, red gold as well with, with different colors. I think, uh, I'm not sure which version, but again, uh, gold and sapphire. The movement has just the time. It has two balance wheels on opposing sides at the end there, and underneath them for the SV version, which is not in the in the standard HM9, are propellers, turbines as they call them, which sort of spin with gravity. They are geared, but they're not connected to a winding system or something like that. They're just sort of there for whimsy. Um, this is a watch that you read by looking from the side. It's got a aviator dial, which is kind of cool and, and, and goes with... This is supposed to be a... Uh, I guess, uh, in some world, uh, a little spaceship kind of watch or something like that. It looks like other things, too, if you look closely <laughs> enough, um, yeah. which made me chuckle, I have to say, when I wore this watch. The idea of what it looks like with that you know, vantage point on the wrist at that price point was extremely entertaining to me, and yeah. I like that. And, I mean, the, the movement's super cool, you know? Like, Max Booser has really perfected the art of wearing an impressive piece of mechanical kinetic art on the wrist. I mean, he's really perfected that art and that's what the watches are. And I love how these can be amazing, but silly at the same time. Like there's no, no issue selling out of these things. They're all going to move, even though they're extremely expensive. And I love this super weird stuff, you know? <laughs> so it's $400,000 of whimsy. Is it even vaguely wearable? Yeah. Yeah. It's wearable. Do you feel like you could walk through a door and not be doing the old tucking the arm around the back or around the front or in your pocket. I just can't imagine the process of wearing this. I don't really care what people think about me, so that helps. <laughs> yeah, it always helps if you don't care. And do we think Max knows what it looks like? Um, The people that buy these like Did somebody it. tell him? Did somebody say, did somebody say, oh, Max, come on, man. Look at what, what, you know what you're building here, really? I think that's part of the appeal. I right, think okay. I think Max literally looked at history's you know architecture and vehicles and all kinds of things including things today and seen how many have a striking resemblance to a phallus and said <laughs> i can do that as well yeah well he certainly has done it i mean it is spectacular there's no doubt about it it's absolutely spectacular uh, how readable is it obviously it's side mounted it's i suppose technically speaking it's a driver's watch in that you're supposed to be able to read it while your hands on the steering wheel because it reads the time through the side so you don't need to turn your wrist i suppose but obviously it's a clear crystal all the way through can you actually tell the time yeah i mean even though the dial is transparent the hands and the hour markers are, are you know legible enough mm -hmm. you don't you don't wear this to constantly read the time i mean you wear <laughs> this to show off in fact yes. the whole practice of turning it on the side to read the time probably invites attention just by itself and is there loom on the hands i'm just curious does it glow in the dark well, you really think I spent a lot of time with this thing. <laughs> it does. It did appear to have loom on the hands and for the hour markers. So the answer is yes, yeah. but I haven't done like a whole like darkness test with it or anything. I, I was just curious as to whether the only thing that glows in the dark is the is the dial or whether he has hidden other secret loom bits within the 
Crystal Case. Secret just Loom. Even more suggests uh, Secret Loom. Th- it's a new Marvel series, a Secret Loom Wars. There's a whole group <laughs> of watch lovers that obsessed with Secret Loom. You know, the Black Badger whole phenomenon helped inspire a lot of them. But so many times I've I've like seen high end watches and the guy's like, Oh yeah, you have to see this. And he pulls out like his like super bright, you know, UV light just glowing all over this thing's like look at this line here and i'm like this loom like yes it's painted it's cool but like loom is so inexpensive and like this is like a several hundred thousand dollar watch like i could take so many watches and just paint a couple of lines of loom in them and be like check this out <laughs> like it's, it's it's funny like you know we now have precious loom i guess Yes, I don't know that there's really much more to say about this watch other than actually there was one comment which is I think was more or less along the lines of listen, don't get it, wouldn't wear it, but I'm really glad it exists. And I think that would probably be my summation too. Wouldn't wear it, certainly not paying $400,000 for it, but it is just nice to live in a world where this kind of imagination and this kind of skill and daydreaming, the ability to take your daydreams and actually build them. I mean, I want to be going out and having an evening like as part of the entourage with the person wearing this. Like, I don't necessarily want to be the person wearing it, but like, I want to be hanging out with them because only good things happen. Yeah. Or, or only really, really bad things. Well, speak <laughs> yeah, for pay, yourself, pay, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Pays your money, takes your chance. This watch was purchased. Like, that is someone's watch. Like, it was awaiting yeah. delivery to them. So, like, that, there's a, there's a person out there who bought this watch you know i know mm-hmm. a little bit about them i'm not going to divulge it but like yeah, this yeah, yeah. Th- that that's not waiting for a house it's it's on its way so i mean without divulging the person i mean is this a what you would classify as a normal person like is the guy got a day job as just a a well-paid banker or something or is it like it's a guy that plays basketball well, it's it, a baseball it, it, player. It, I'll put this way: it's it is, it is, Sil- it is Silicon Valley. So, who are the people in Silicon Valley that have right, the money okay. for stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Elon Musk is now supporting <laughs> a nice MB and F uh, more. He's not even a watch person. Part- it is weird. I mean, you eventually get to that stage in this hobby where you go because there's so much that's so nice but so expensive. You kind of dream of other people's lives where you would have all this money so you could have the ultimate watch collection. And then you see people that have those kind of budgets and you go, why are you not collecting watches? Elon Musk, why do you not have the best watch collection in the he, world? He doesn't because like Because if I had them. your money, I would have the best watch collection in the world. <laughs> he doesn't like wearing them. That's the thing. He just doesn't. like. There's, there's people that, for whatever reason, don't like it on their wrist, maybe haven't worn the right one or given it a chance. But I, I met him one time briefly. Mm-hmm. It was watch related and i saw him put a watch on and i saw him look at it and i saw and i you know i heard what he had to say about it and you know he's he's open-minded but like it's just not his poison right maybe he does just need to be introduced to max to come up with something maybe you know? maybe we, we, we'll we find out so there we go let's let's get that let's get that happen that can be a fly in the wall another fly in the wall <laughs> i mean do but does this hobby really need elon musk is my point like when max Maybe we're okay without when, him. When Max met Elon, there you go. There's there's my there's my final HBO pitch. When Max met Elon, dot 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 dot. <laughs> that's that's a fly in the world. I don't I don't know see. what happens. I really have no idea. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, go and check out Ariel's hands-on uh, review of that. So finally today, let's speak about. Hmm, I've got a couple of choices here. 
Let's speak about Zodiac, actually. So this is the Zodiac Super Seawolf Z0-9291, the white cap. Very nice watch, great colour scheme, all the rest of it. All good stuff. It's a Zodiac. You kind of know what you're getting. It is in that kind of great, capable dive watch that isn't going to uh, break the bank to any great extent. But I think my question is more about what are Zodiac actually doing now? They've gone through a bit of a phase. They brought all these colourful watches out. It's you know they've they've sold lots of limited editions. I think did you not do a you did a thing with Zodiac yourself? Did you not? There's more coming too. Oh, there you go. All the way exclusive. <laughs> oh yeah. Where are Zodiac now as a brand going? They're owned by Fossil Group. Correct. But as I think we commented on last week's show with the review of the Shinola, who appear to very much now have their target set on the market that Zodiac are in, as well as many others. And in our previous conversation about how there is a brand drift with the likes of Oris to get more expensive to do more stuff, where do we see Zodiac going? Are Zodiac slowly going to have to push up market? Or are they big enough with the fossil side of things just to stick to their lane, do what they're good at, get better at it, spread the word of the love for the Super Sea Wolf and the other ones they've got, and you know just keep making the money that way? That's a very good question. I can't say everything I know, but I think what I can say is assuring. I don't see them moving away from the price point they're at in a, in a bad way. There's going to be some less expensive watches. There's going to be some maybe some more expensive watches, but the end of the day, the average price point uh, is not going to go up. So I think that that's a positive thing. They understand that that niche is a valuable one to them. And I think that they've seen, and I've talked to them about this. I've seen other brands make the mistakes of, of, of moving to different, you know, di different consumer groups. So that's one thing. Colors are here to stay. So we're still going to see a lot of this experimentation with fun colors. Also, a lot of collaborations are coming and iterative improvements to the products. You know, they want to make slightly better dials, slightly better cases, slightly better bracelets. And there's going to be little bits and pieces of that. There's a lot of improvements that have already been made to the STP movements. There are, are further improvements coming. Uh, and again, it's difficult to have a timeline of when all this stuff is done. But I would say that, you know, especially given the fact that they just hired Mike Pearson, who I just recently yeah. interviewed for the Superlative podcast, not published yet. You know, at Zodiac is their new basically global brand director. That means that they have someone who's starting to create more of a large vision, you know, within the storytelling of the brand where that's going to go. So I hope that gives a little bit of an insight as to where where Zodiac is going. I think the main thing that the Super Sea Wolf comes in criticism for, and you know, it's it's a bit unfair because it is like it's not an expensive watch, so it's not going to have the bracelet quality of. The Tudor, which is twice the price of the Rolex, is possibly the bracelet, which I think can be considered a bit not quite of the same high standard that they've set themselves in the rest of the watch. They're almost like their own worst enemy. The rest of the watch is so good when you think the bracelet's a bit jangly. That comes in for criticism, but, you know, Seiko have been producing bracelets like that for years. <laughs> You know the bracelets have have yeah. real the bracelets have really come a long way, and I don't think that any of the modern ones that I've seen, the newer bracelets, there's any concern. They are good quality for the price. I know what you're referring to. 
they've gotten rid of a lot of this. Look, a, a lot of it, the original bracelets, were trying to be kind of old-timey, retro-style. I mean, that's why everyone gets all excited about this. Oh, this vintage-style dive watch, just like they made in the 60s. I'm like, you don't want that today. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. If you produce this, if you produce the watch with a jangly bracelet and tell everybody it's got a jangly, jangly bracelet because it's vintage-inspired, everybody loses their marbles over it. As soon as you just put it on a watch that you release, everyone's like, oh, this is awful. This is terrible. And like 10 minutes ago, you were going absolutely crazy for this stuff. But uh, just because it's now, just because we've pitched it a different way, you now don't like it. So yeah, ah, but that's what watch people are like. We're all kind of hypocrites at the end of the day. <laughs> we all want the other. But uh, yeah, really like this Zodiac. I've always really loved the colors that they produce. Remember, uh, the, the, the watch hobbyist community is a community. And part of a community is having a group conversation. And we're very susceptible to there being too much groupthink. Like, okay, everyone, we agree that we don't like this, right? So when everyone talks about this, we have to say we don't like it. There's a lot of that that goes on and people feel compelled to have a particular opinion. So if there's like two people online that are gushing about something, it's like someone feels that when they see it, they have to have the same reaction. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. The reality is yeah. just have whatever reaction you have. Stop paying attention to what everyone else feels. And what's funny is you see it changing. So you see that, you know, Hublot is a great example of this. Everyone's like, oh yeah, don't like Hublot, don't like Hublot. And then suddenly some people start saying, oh, I actually quite like Hublot. And then everybody follows along especially like podcasting and YouTube, everyone's like, oh yeah, I hate Hublot. And as soon as somebody starts to go, yeah, I actually quite like this, then and they get views and listens and feedback, then everybody kind of piles in. And suddenly everybody likes Hublot. It's like those two old men in the Muppet show who used to start off with like, oh, it's the worst thing I ever heard. And then by the end of the, the skit, oh, it's the greatest thing that's ever been made. Oh, did I do my job properly? Did people finally you know, no longer automatically like Gublo and actually give it a fair a fair shot. I think me and you have been, you know, singing off vaguely this hymns, same hymn sheet in this for a wee while. So, yeah, I think we get to say we're trendsetters in liking Gublo. <laughs> uh, there we go. <laughs> so the only thing we're trendsetting, that is for sure. Great stuff. Well, thank you for listening this week. Actually, we should just give a quick shout out to the Superlative Podcast. Can you tell us about the one that's just gone out this week? So I interviewed uh, a gentleman named Scott Langa who wrote a book with his father about his father's time um, in a concentration camp during the Holocaust as a watchmaker. And the story is about a man who was a watchmaker amongst a few other watchmakers and, and their survival through the Holocaust. And, you know, he has since I think the late 80s, maybe, you know, been recording evidence and stories about this. Finally, after spending, I think, like 20 years on on the book and the content, uh, Mr. Langa finally got together and put everything together in, in publishable order. And it's a very moving story. And we, we talk a lot about what it's like to grow up with a watchmaking father that, you know, was through the Holocaust um, and a lot of other very interesting details. He, uh, he currently lives in Israel right now. So there's a lot of interesting stories we talk about from his kid from his you know childhood uh learning about the stories to today so yeah that's that's one of the interesting ones for sure so yeah as well as a blog to watch weekly there's also the superlative podcast so go and listen to that some great back catalog there as well and if you're listening to a blog to watch weekly via the spending time channel then please do go and follow us directly at a blog to watch weekly and if you happen to be listening on spotify 
you can also interact with the show by messages and voicemail messages that way or you can just email us directly podcast at a blog to watch.com so that's basically us for this week ariel you've got a busy rest of the week ahead Lots of things going on, some fun watches in for review. I'm looking forward to the fall when there's going to be a lot of cool things being announced. Again, I just like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm very excited for September and October where a lot of cool things are going to come out. And then just before the end of the year, when everyone thinks it's just holiday season, there's going to be some more cool stuff. So I'm going to be yeah. out there going to see some of it. And 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 yeah, so it's going to be uh, an exciting, uh, exciting forever, I guess, in the watch industry, given all the popularity now. Yep, it keeps on going. Uh, the show that never ends pretty much is what it feels like at the moment. I, I shall be mostly enjoying uh, playing around with this Oris. So that is it for this week. You can find Ariel where on Instagram? Ariel to watch is my account on Instagram. And you can read all my articles on blogtowatch.com and listen to me on the podcast that Rick just mentioned. And you can find me at at Rick TikTok on Instagram and email me direct if you want to. Rick at a blog to watch dot com. I, yeah. Well, oh, do leave us a review. When you get to the end of the show and it says, you know, add five stars, send, do send us something. It'd be nice to hear from you. So goodbye from me. That's goodbye from him. Bye, everyone. <laughs>